Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Cameron Huddleston. Cameron, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Cameron is an award-winning personal finance journalist and author of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. She is also the Director of Education and Content and Careful, the first service built to organize to protect aging adults' daily finances. And you are pretty close to my backyard, just over the border in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So I think that probably qualifies as close enough to Nashville these days. Exactly. I'm I'm in Nashville all the time. So especially for soccer games. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. So this obviously, this topic, this conversation we're about to have, very topical given this intergenerational transfer that's occurring while these baby boomer generation ages out, pass away. This is increasingly a very important part of how people need to have that conversation with this transition occurring. I can tell you from my own personal experience, my parents never talked about money. I still don't have any idea how much money they have. I have a very basic understanding of their estate plan because I'm the executor. But other than that, I have no clue. I'm planning on seeing them over the holidays. What would you recommend I do if I wanted to try to start just the first part of that conversation. Okay, here's my first tip. Don't bring the topic up like during the middle of a holiday meal. So you're there at Thanksgiving, maybe if you have siblings or they're with you, you don't wanna say, okay, mom and dad, let's talk about your finances. And here's why, because there might be people at the holiday meal who don't need to be part of the conversation. Holiday meals can be stressful already, so you don't want to add more stress to a potentially difficult situation. It just, you know, it depends on the family. And then finally, if someone's had too much to drink, that conversation is gonna go downhill really quickly. So 
what you can do instead is if this is the one time maybe when you and you and your siblings are all going to be together you know let your parents know that you want to have this conversation but at a later time when you can all sit down and you don't have to be rushed and there's not any other outside stressors on the conversation so that's that's certainly one way to do it there are a lot of different ways though to start this this conversation naturally because i know a lot of people think this is going to be awkward my parents aren't going to talk to me about their finances they're going to tell me it's none of their business and like you said your parents never talked to you about money and i had the same thing in my household in fact my father used to always say to me don't talk about money it's impolite don't ask people how much money they made don't ask people how much they paid for things and so we never had those conversations. And then when my father died at the age of 61 without a will, I was shocked because he was an attorney. And I thought, surely, surely he would have had a will. He would have had estate planning documents, but he didn't. And I didn't know because I hadn't had conversations with him. My mother wasn't quite so tight-lipped about money. It's just that I didn't realize I needed to have a conversation with her about her finances and still, until she started showing signs of memory loss. And then I had to scramble to make sure all of her legal documents were updated. I had to play detective to get the information that I needed. And so as you approach these conversations with your parents, like I said, there are a variety of ways you can start them so that they seem more natural. You can share a story about someone who didn't have a will and died without a will. And then the family ended up fighting it out in court. Or maybe there's a conversation about a colleague or a friend who had to get involved with their parents' finances because the parent had dementia. And that friend had a lot of trouble getting the information that he needed about his parents' finances as he was taking over them. You could ask about what if scenarios. What if something happened to you? I know you've got things in place because your parents might be saying, oh, we've taken care of that. We have a will, we have all these documents. And you say, that's great. But if there's an emergency, I need to know where those documents are. I need to know how to access them. I need to know what your wishes are. Or maybe it's just a matter of sharing your own experience. Hey, I did this recently. I updated my will, my power of attorney, my advanced directive. I just got a new life insurance policy. I want you to know where these documents are, mom and dad, in case something happens to me. By the way, have you done this sort of planning? Where can I find your documents? And so lots of different ways that you can get the conversation started. Yeah, that's helpful. I think like a lot of things, we have a general sense of kind of how to do this or how we'd like to see this play out. But I like your suggestion about not doing it at, you know, the big dinner or people have been drinking, obviously. Are there some other red flag, hard no's in terms of how not to do this conversation? Yes. So you don't want to appear condescending. So maybe your parents haven't done a good job of managing their finances and you can tell or maybe they're starting to show signs that they need help with their finances because of aging or because of health issues. You don't want to come in and criticize them. You know, I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm worried that you're making bad decisions with your money. Then you're going to put them on the defensive and then they're going to shut down. So you don't want to be condescending. You don't want to appear greedy. So if you want to find out, do they have those estate planning documents? You don't want to say something like, Hey, do you have a will? I'd like to know if I'm getting anything. 
<laughs> that that's going to put them off. And it really, it's none of your business. You just need to know, do they have the document? It doesn't matter how much you're getting. Consider yourself lucky if you do get anything, but you just need to know, do they have the documents? And what you don't want to do either is issue ultimatums. Say something like, hey, if you're not going to talk to me, then don't expect me to help you out as you get older. Because again, that's not going to open the door to fruitful conversations. You want to go into these conversations out of love and respect for your parents. They are still your parents. You know more about money than they do. And so you're letting them know, I want to be able to help you in case you ever need help. And to do that, I'm going to need some information. I want to know what your wishes are so I can follow those wishes. You know, letting your parents know that you're looking out for their best best interests, but also letting your parents know that you want them to remain in control because this really comes down to issues of control. They don't want to give up control and they see these conversations as giving up control as a role reversal. And so letting them know, hey, I want you to stay in control and I want to know, again, what your wishes are. I want to know what you want, how you want your money handled. If you can't manage it yourself for whatever reason, I need to know these things so I can do what you want. So if you do get this window of opportunity and you thread the needle and you, you get this moving, what's the mental checklist that you need to go through in order to cover all your bases? And, and do you give certain things priority over others? Yes. So you definitely want to find out, do they have those estate planning documents? And, you know, all adults should have estate planning documents. This is not just something that the rich and family famous should do. If you want your wishes known, they have to be in writing. So you need to find out, do your parents have a will or a trust? Something that spells out who gets what when they die, because if they don't have a will, state law will determine who gets their assets, no matter how few assets they have. Even more important than I think the will and the trust is, do they have a power of attorney? Someone they trust, they have named to make financial decisions for them if they can't. This document, as with all legal documents, must be drafted and signed while you are still mentally competent. So if dad has a stroke and hasn't named a power of attorney, then someone might have to go to court to be named conservator. And this can be a very expensive lengthy process. And essentially you're putting your parent on trial to prove that he or she is no longer competent enough to manage their own finances. You want to find out, do they have a healthcare power of attorney? This is also called a healthcare proxy or a healthcare surrogate, someone to make medical decisions for them if they can't. And do they have an advanced directive or living will that spells out what sort of end of life medical treatment they do or do not want? You want to find out if they have these documents so that if they don't, you're going to encourage them to meet with an estate planning attorney or an elder law attorney to get these documents drafted as soon as possible. If you can get that sort of information, that's great, but you want to dig deeper. You want to find out, well, how do they pay their bills? And this is part of emergency planning. If something were to happen, they're in the hospital and you want to make sure those bills get paid while they're in the hospital, you need to know, are they writing checks for those bills or are they set up to be paid automatically? You know, and again, if they're writing checks, someone has to be able to sign those checks for them. If they can't, that means having a power of attorney. You want to find out what sources of income do they have? Are they relying solely on Social Security? Is there a pension? Are there retirement savings? Are there investment properties? What are the sources of income? Is there debt? You don't need to know exactly how much debt they have. Of course, they might balk at that. But are they still paying a mortgage, for example? 
you know, what sort of investments do they have? What sort of insurance policies do they have? Do they still have a life insurance policy? Do they have long-term care insurance? Do they have a way to pay for long-term care? You really need to dig into this long-term care planning because the thing is, most adults don't have a plan to pay for long-term care. They think Medicare will pay for it. It does not. Medicaid will, but you have to have very limited assets and income to qualify for Medicaid. And so that means you've got to have a way to pay for long-term care. And if your parents don't have a way to pay for it, guess what? You might be their long-term care plan. They might be counting on you to take care of them. And that's going to impact your finances. And so you want to get as much information about their finances as possible, but you don't need to do this all at once. You don't want to sit them down and grill them for hours because that's going to be overwhelming for them. It's going to be overwhelming for you. This is a series of conversations that you will have over time. And so you want to kind of pick that area where they're most likely to be willing to share some information. Maybe they don't want to think about death, so they don't want to talk about estate planning, but maybe they're willing to talk about how their retirement's going. Maybe they're willing to share that, you know, retirement is going great. They're so glad that they save money because they get to travel the way they wanted to. And then you start digging a little bit deeper. Oh, really? I'm so glad you saved money for retirement. Are you thinking about downsizing? Are you, you know, if something were to happen, is there enough money to pay for your care? Keep the questions going and pull out a little bit more information at a time if they don't want to share this with you by telling you they might be willing to write this information down and this is a really good way to allow your parents to maintain control ask them to make a list of all of their assets all of their accounts put that list someplace safe with those estate planning documents tell you when and how you can access so that it's there if they don't want to tell you this information and what is the deeper psychological rooting in this reticence to talk about money? Where does this come from? <laughs> well, there's a chance that your parents might have been raised believing that talking about money is taboo. And they also might not like the idea, like I said, of the role reversal. Having these conversations, you know, makes them have to realize that they're aging. That's they will die and that they don't like the idea of having their kids or someone else take care of them. Maybe they're embarrassed because they didn't do a good job of managing their finances and they don't want to admit to their kids that their kids might have to help them out. Of course, the kids need to know this in advance. You don't want to find out, <laughs> you know, suddenly dad's in the hospital. He can't pay his bills. Now he needs nursing home care, has no way to pay for it. And you're, you know, expected to foot the bill for them. And you haven't included this in your own financial planning. And so what do you do? You're going to have to scramble. And so you need to know if they haven't prepared for retirement, they don't have a way to support themselves. And so there are lots of different reasons that they might be reluctant. I do think that if you can, before you have these conversations, identify why they might be reluctant Again, that's going to help you determine what approach you want to take and what sort of topics you might want to avoid, like the aging and death side of it. Or, you know, maybe it's the fact that they didn't manage their money well. And so you want to find another way to to kind of ease into these conversations, you know, and if maybe they didn't do a good job of managing their money, maybe you start the conversation by offering them some ways to save money, ways to get good deals. You know, hey, grocery prices are really high these days. I found that doing this and this and that has helped me save money on groceries. I can help you 
save money in this way or the other. I can help you negotiate your bills. Or maybe you talk to them about scams. You know, maybe they're a little bit paranoid and they're worried about losing their money, which we all should be worried about losing money to scammers because they can target all of us. So you share, you know, scams that you've heard about, or maybe you talk to them about scam red flags and that opens the door to more conversations about money. If you're trying to get out in front of this, if somebody's listening like me, I'm 40, my kids are nine and six. What's in your experience and opinion, best practices for having a healthy relationship with your children vis-a-vis money talks? I think you should be talking to your kids about money as soon as they are old enough to start talking themselves. And that doesn't mean that you're going to lecture them about student loans when they are four years old. (laughs) You're going to introduce them to the concept of money first. You know, here are coins and here are bills. And then as they get a little bit older, you want to introduce them to the concept of how do you get money? It's not just handed out to you, you earn money. And so maybe you want to institute an allowance system in your house. And there are lots of different ways you can go about it. Maybe they have to do certain chores to earn money. Maybe they're expected to do certain things that are just part of being in your household. So they have to make up their bed every day. They don't get paid for that. But if they do additional chores like taking out the trash, they get money for that. And then as they get older, you give them more responsibility with money. I mean, my kids have been learning about money since they were a very young age. They get an allowance. My oldest daughter is now in college. So we talked a lot about what we could and could not afford when it came to college. You know, we talked about all those expectations. My kids know that, you know, we have estate planning documents. They know who their guardian is, who's going to take care of them if we're not around. They know that their dad and I have been saving money for retirement, that we don't expect them to help us out. We do expect them, if, if something happens to us, to, you know, step in and make sure the bills get paid. If, you know, if one of us ends up in some sort of long-term care situation, but we talk very openly with our kids so that they can be financially responsible adults when they become adults. I want to go back and revisit a comment you made about scams. It seems to me that this whole, you know, cybersecurity scam, social media, it's a very scary place. Even as a a 40 year old, like I think I'm semi literate person, (laughs) It's confusing some of these texts that I get or emails or phone calls. What is kind of the big picture state of where we are in terms of scamming volume, sophistication, schemes, et cetera? You know, the statistics I look at show that the number of scams reported, the incidence of fraud, they just keep going up year after year. The dollar amount that victims lose just keeps going up year after year because scammers get more and more sophisticated. You know, surprisingly, though, one of the top ways scammers still reach people, especially older adults, is by the phone. And so one of the best things that you can do to help protect your parents is tell them, don't answer the phone. Let your calls go to voicemail because even if they are you know, picking up their cell phone, or even if they've got caller ID on their landline, scammers can use technology to make that number appear like it's coming from the local area code. Maybe even it looks like it's from an organization or a business that they know. 
And so they shouldn't believe what they're seeing on caller ID. Let those calls go to voicemail. Then listen to the voicemail and determine if you want to return that call. Usually if it's a scammer, they're not going to leave a voicemail. Some do. And so let's say it's someone claiming to be with your bank. Well, tell your parents, don't call the number that they've left. Look up the bank's number online. Look it up in the phone book and call the bank directly and say, hey, I got a call that was supposedly from you telling me that there was a problem with my account. Were you trying to reach me? So this is really the best advice that you can give your parents. This is the best advice for any of us. Don't answer the phone. Just don't answer the phone. If you get a text message telling you to click on a link or to respond because there's something wrong with your account, or guess what? You paid your bill on time, so now you get a free gift. Don't click on a link in a text message unless that message is coming from someone you know. Not, I'm talking people you know, your children, your friends, your family members. You even have to be careful about that. But if it appears to be a business you know, again, don't click on the link. Reach out to that business directly. Don't click on links and emails. Even if it appears to be a business you know, call them directly. This is how scammers get people because they often try to appear like an organization, a business, a government agency that people would trust. And they win people's trust and get them to provide their personal information, their account information, and then that's how they take advantage of them. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Take the next step by joining the Capital Club, an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals organized by Excelsior Capital. You'll gain access to exclusive alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, private events, and more. Visit excelsiorgp.com slash Capital Club podcast for more information and to sign up today. Yeah, it's, it's scary stuff, and it does seem to just be getting worse and worse. And I'll call out the website that you have has some really good content around this. I encourage people to check it out if you want to dig deeper. You also referenced dementia, Alzheimer's as this generation continues to age, but the longevity continues to increase, right? I mean, people think that many folks my age will be hitting 90s easily, maybe even upper 90s. How do you manage this transition with your parents and navigate assisted living versus memory care versus in-home versus out of the home? I know that's a big question, but where do you even start? So I want to point out first that more than half of adults, 65 and older, will need long-term care at some point. So there's a really good chance that one or both of your parents will need long-term care. Long-term care is assistance with activities of daily living, bathing, dressing, eating, getting in and out of bed, going to the bathroom. And so I think a lot of people think, well, first of all, it's not going to happen to me. I am, you know, an intelligent person. I had a great job. I'm, I'm sharp. I'm not ever going to lose my wits. I'm not ever going to experience any sort of memory decline. Well, it can impact anyone. Doesn't matter how smart you are. <laughs> Doesn't matter how educated you are. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease at 65 years old. Otherwise, she was pretty healthy. And so I knew because she was pretty healthy, she was going to be living with that disease for a pretty long time. You know, so you have to accept that it is likely that you're going to have it and your parents need to realize this and they need to plan for it. And I know a lot of people think, well, my spouse can take care of me. I'm married. So if your parents are married, they think, well, you know, dad thinks mom's going to take care of him. Well, If you're both in your late 80s, 
can mom get you up and down the stairs? Can mom get you in and out of the shower or the bathtub? Can mom get you dressed? Probably not. She's not going to have the strength to do that. She might not have the emotional strength to deal with what is going on. And so you can't assume that family is going to be there to take care of you. You might think, well, my kids are going to take care of you. Well, your kids might not be able to step away from their job or caring for their own children to care for you because being a caregiver can be a full-time job. I mean, my mother, when she was in the middle and late stages of dementia, essentially she needed round the clock care because people will get up and start wandering at night. You can't stay awake 24 hours a day to take care of someone with dementia. And so there has to be a plan for paid care. Now, do you do it at home or do you get care in a facility? I know a lot of people think, don't ever put me, they'll say this, your parents might say this, don't ever put me in a home. Well, first of all, you need to realize that a nursing home isn't your only option. There are varying levels of care. You know, you can, there are what are called continuing care communities where you can move into a retirement community where there's independent living. And then if you have issues, you have, you know, mobility issues or you start experiencing memory issues then you can move into assisted living or memory care. And then really you only need skilled nursing care if there has been, if you need some sort of rehabilitation or it's the very end stage where you need round the clock skilled nursing care. And there are a lot of really nice facilities out there. There are a lot of nice facilities in Nashville. My mother was actually in a memory care facility in Nashville for a while before one opened up in Bowling Green where we are. And so, but they're not cheap. I mean, it is, it can be quite expensive. We're talking, you know, five, six, $7,000 a month, you know, in places like Nashville, if you're in a place where the cost of living is a little bit lower or a thousand to $5,000 a month, even, you know, if you're on the coast, you know, the East Coast, the West Coast, you know, you can easily get into $10,000 a month for this sort of care. And that's in a facility. If you want round the clock care in your home, that can cost even more. And so long-term care insurance will help cover the cost of this care. It's not cheap, but it's a heck of a lot cheaper <laughs> than what you pay each month. But this has to be in place while you are still, you know, in your 50s, early 60s, you're in good health. If you already have an issue that requires long-term care, you can't get it. There are what are called hybrid life insurance policies. It is a permanent life insurance policy that has a long-term care benefit. This can be easier to qualify for, but it's typically more expensive than traditional long-term care insurance. But for people who don't like the idea of use it or lose it, like, but if I don't need long-term care, then I'm gonna lose all that money I put into a policy with these hybrid policies, someone's gonna get the money. If you don't need the money for long-term care, then your beneficiaries are gonna get that death benefit when you die. And so a lot of people like the idea of these hybrid life insurance policies. Again, that's something you can do. I mean, there's a reverse mortgage. If you've saved enough money, you know, in your retirement savings, that's the way to do it. But there needs to be a plan. And the sooner you start planning, the more options you have, the sooner you start talking to your children and the sooner children start talking to parents. Like I said, you just have more options for, you know, what sort of care you can pay for and what sort of care you can receive. Yeah, the it seems like at least how it played out with my family and my grandparents, similar to what you're talking about in terms of the trust and estate issues, it was all done last minute and it was uncomfortable for everybody because nobody ever wants to talk about it beforehand. So it seems like communication early even if it is uncomfortable and you're talking about topics that maybe are taboo within your family, 
it is going to save you hardship down the road. Definitely. Definitely. And again, you put it, you let your parents know that this is about control. You know, hey, look, if you want to stay in your home, if you need some sort of long-term care, then let's start addressing that now. Let's make sure your home is set up for you to stay there. Let's make sure, you know, if there are stairs in the home, maybe it's time to downsize. Now, you choose the place where you want to live that's going to be comfortable for you. Maybe you go ahead and you, you know, get rid of the bathtubs and put in a walk-in shower. You know, you, you have that plan in place so that the parents can decide how they want to receive their care, you know, and I'm actually a proponent of assisted living because it can be difficult to get care at home. And here's the thing. If you want to talk about avoiding any sort of exploitation and elder abuse, I know people think, oh, if you're going to put me in a facility, no one's, they're just going to leave me there and I'm going to be in my room. If you can afford a good facility, that's not going to happen because you have a lot of staff on duty at all times. There are multiple people looking out for you. There are cameras throughout the facility, you know, so, and if someone calls in sick, guess what? There are other staff there who are there to take care of you. If you have one caregiver who's coming into the home and that person's sick, you have to scramble to find a replacement or you have to take off work for a week while that caregiver recovers. If there's only one caregiver in the home, you know, that I hate to, make people scared of this, but it's a reality. You know, someone needs to be looking over that caregiver's shoulder to make sure that they are not taking advantage of your parents, you know, especially if there is cognitive decline. You know, they can, if you start hearing your parents say, oh, you don't love me anymore. My caregiver, Sally, is the only one who cares about you. Well, you know that there's exploitation going on. And so when you're in a facility, you know, it's, it's easier to prevent that sort of abuse and exploitation, at least this is in my experience and with experience of a lot of other people I've talked to. Plus, you still get social engagement. You know, if you're at home alone, you're going to decline a lot faster. And so I would tell your parents, don't write off assisted living because there are a lot of benefits to it. But if you're determined to stay in your home, you need to have a plan on how to make that possible. What advice do you give people who identifies the sandwich generation where they're helping take care of their parents, they're helping take care of their children. And increasingly, there might also be another generation earlier than that, where there's the spectrum of care. And it's typically mom, right, who's handling all of this. What advice do you give them in terms of self-care, planning, maybe having boundaries or resources? Because it seems like they can get pretty thin pretty quickly. Definitely. I experienced this myself. I have three children, but my two oldest children were toddlers when my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. So I had little kids when I was caring for my mom. Some important things to keep in mind. You have to make your own finances a priority. So if you're caring for kids who are counting on you for financial support, they come first. And that might mean you know, telling your parents, I'm sorry, but I cannot be your full-time caregiver because I have to continue working to support my children, to support my family. I can't dip into my own retirement savings to support you. There are government programs out there that can support your parents, help support your parents if they don't have the resources to support themselves. Medicaid, like I mentioned, is one of those programs. Medicaid will pay for nursing home care in every state, whether it pays for 
assisted living or even care at home that varies by state it's a good idea to meet with a good elder law attorney who specializes in medicaid but there are programs out there to help people who don't have the financial wherewithal to take care of themselves in retirement if there is a long-term care need and so don't jeopardize your own finances now if you are in a good position financially. Maybe that means when you're having these conversations, you know, offering to pay for those estate planning documents for your parents so that their wishes are in writing. Maybe that means buying a long-term care insurance policy for your parents, maybe along with your siblings, so that there is money there to pay for their care if they need it, because you won't be able to be their caregiver. You know, having these conversations does, like I said, help you plan. You know, and also, this is really important. Don't feel guilty about getting help. And that means asking your siblings to chip in in one way or the other. That means asking other family members to help out. And that means if there is money to pay for care, then using those resources to get professional care for your parents. When it got to the point where I could not give my mom the care she needed, I hired someone to come and help take care of her while she was still living at home. And also she lived with me for a while and then got to the point where I had to move her into a memory care facility. And really it was about her own safety. You would never send your parents to a hospital where the doctors and nurses weren't trained. You are not trained to be a caregiver. And maybe mom isn't trained. Your mom isn't trained to be a caregiver for dad. And she can't do it by herself. If there is money to pay for professional care. Do not feel guilty about getting your parents the care that they need and deserve. Yeah, it's, it's great advice. And to segue into a question that I ask my guests, given your line of work, seems like you have you know a family, busy. Is there something that you do every day to help bring you peace, maybe especially within your financial world? Oh, something I do every day. <laughs> I don't know if there's something I do every day. I think peace in my financial world, it does come down to planning. You can't wing it. You just, you can't wing your finances. And sometimes it can be as simple as automating what you can, you know, setting up as many automatic payments for your bills so you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about making late payments. I mean, those bills that I can't set up to be paid automatically, I hate those because they're going to sit in an envelope on my desk <laughs> until I finally remember to open the envelope and and you know see how much I owe. So I automate as much as possible. You know, I automate my retirement savings, you know, having money contributed to a 401k every month. You know, I I don't have access to a health savings account through my job, but my husband does. And so he sets aside money for healthcare expenses, which is wonderful, you know, because when you have kids, there are a lot of healthcare expenses. And so automating as much as possible, you know, having those estate planning documents in place, you know, having a plan to pay for long-term care, that brings me peace of mind because I know that I've taken care of that part of my life, the financial side of my life, because with kids, I mean, things happen all the time that I'm not prepared for those medical emergencies that they have, just like the day-to-day issues that they're going through, you know? And so by taking care of that financial side of my life, I am in a good place to deal with all the other issues that crop up in life. That's great. Cameron, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been super helpful and insightful. And like I said, the website, which I'll let you call out here in a minute, is terrific in terms of the content 
the blogs and, and the topics that you cover increasingly important, I think, for everyone to have a better handle on all of that. If people are interested in connecting with you, learning about the work that you do, what's the best way for them to get in touch? So the best way is to visit my website, which is CameronHuddleston.com. You can reach out to me if you want to. I do have some free resources there. I've got an in case of emergency organizer that you can print out and give to your parents to put all that information about their finances onto. Um, there's a scam red flag sheet that you can download, give to your parents, tell them to hang it up on the refrigerator by the phone. And so you can get information about me there. And then that website that you mentioned with all the resources, that is getcareful with two L's.com. It is the website of Careful. It is a, a platform for account monitoring, credit monitoring, identity monitoring. And I am in charge of all the content that's on that website. So I've got lots of articles on talking to your parents about their finances, how to help them manage their finances if they can't. I've got articles that are geared toward older adults that if you want, send them to your parents as a way to get the conversation started about what they can be doing to plan for the issues that they're going to face as they get older. Well, Cameron, I want to thank you again for coming on. Terrific. I encourage listeners, if you enjoyed the conversation, please leave us a review and, and a rating. And Cameron, I look forward to seeing a touch and hopefully we can connect next time you're a few miles down south in Nashville. Yes, I'd love to. Okay, take care. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.